Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst with Faster Skier. We've got a great in-depth and kind of technical episode with Zach Caldwell, who runs a ski and service business in Vermont, talking about fluorocarbons and ski waxing in service at the Beijing Olympics. We'll be back in the next week with a breakdown of U.S. and Canadian team selection, and uh, stay with us. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. Located outside beautiful Bend, Oregon, the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center has 56 kilometers of daily groomed Nordic trails. With a season that typically runs late November until the end of May, Mount Bachelor has one of the longest Nordic seasons in North America. The Nordic Center hosts a full rental fleet, various instructional classes for all ages and abilities, an on-site retail store, and the Cozy Nordic Cafe. So be sure to check out this winter wonderland this season. To learn more about tickets, passes, and resort amenities, go to mtbachelor.com. We're psyched to have Zach Caldwell here. Um, Zach is a man of many talents, but uh, I think most importantly, well, maybe not most importantly, but uh, runs Caldwell Sport, a ski and ski service business based, uh, I believe in Vermont, somewhat maybe out of the very cool and historic West Hill shop in Putney in, in Southern Vermont. And um, Zach's also been a coach. He comes from the famous or infamous Caldwell family of New England and helped as a assistant type coach turn me from a very marginally bad high school skier into a slightly less bad but still bad high school skier so you know that took a lot so also just known as an expert nationally on skis and ski selection and ski technology and wax and so we're really psyched to have him to talk about some of that stuff related to the upcoming Olympics and some other big issues going on on the international circuit. So thanks for joining us, Zach. Pleasure. Only two corrections there. I want nothing to do with any public recognition of your development as a skier. And um, if we could go with notorious for the Caldwell clan, I'd be good with that. (laughs) Fair. You want to kick us off here, Devin? Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously like, I'm super thrilled have Zach on the podcast again we always get like we, you know we've had him on the podcast a few times already which I'm just super honored to have his his knowledge with the equipment side of things is super important and actually this is something that like our seven now 13 listeners really like they really get stoked about this no like honestly the equipment side of things is questions we get a lot uh at the podcast in like email questions and you know I come at it from a racing side of things so like I was a racer and I mean of course you have to you have to know your equipment you have to know what's going on I've helped out the Norwegian national team in their waxing machine and and helped out the Canadians as well so it's not like I'm totally green from the the tech the technological side of things or the waxing side of things but I have no knowledge compared to Zach and most of the time and previously we've talked a lot about grinds because that 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 got so much questions. So many people want to know about the pattern cut into the P-TECs of skis and, and what that means. And that is important. But this, this conversation now, we want to talk about the waxing itself, the wax itself, and mainly fluorocarbons. <laughs> this crazy expensive. So you go into Zach's shop or any shop around the world, although that's all transitioning. We'll get into that. Um, but regardless, even this newer, better for the environment and better for the health of the of the staff, this non or it's not non-fluoro, but less fluorinated 
new technology, it still costs like $200 Canadian or more for 30 grams of this stuff. So this, this is like more expensive than cocaine. So, so uh, when that's not true, actually, what do I know? I don't know jack shit about cocaine, but regardless, it's really expensive for, to, to, to purchase this kind of wax for, for people that are using, using it for citizen races and the like, but also it's unbelievable how much money is in all these wax trucks on the World Cup at the highest level because it's not just one brand, it's not just one temperature range. You have to have the full gamut and you have to be ready for everything. And then you need the systems like we've talked about in the past, systems for testing all these products, blah, 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 blah. But right now to break it down, here's what's happening. It's come up quite a bit lately because the IBU and FIS are in this kind of media tiff or not even tiff, but there's just been some conflicting reporting going on internationally in the international media. C8 car like fluorocarbon. So the traditional, like for the old school people listening to the podcast, if people have heard of like the Seraph revolution in the mid nineties of SWIX is like heavily fluorinated, non-polar organic compound <laughs> that we put under our skis to repel water. It's kind of been like the gold standard that we race with when it's warm. That has been banned actually. So you're not allowed on the world cup to use these C8 or equivalent waxing products anymore, but there's no test. So it's hundred percent on the honor system. We're going to get into that because I think that's, that's pretty crazy, but that's an EU kind of regulation. And in Beijing, they don't have this. And now there's a whole bunch of confusion. Like, is it going to be allowed? Is it not going to be allowed? There's still a ton of these products available. Wax trucks are filled with them, even though they're not apparently not using them. So we want to get into that. And of course, Beijing for people that are kind of new and, and you know, don't really know the ins and outs of skiing, then I'll stop. But one last thing is if Beijing is at a super high altitude, like we've talked about on this podcast before, it's at 1800 meters. It's also really dry. So it's, so it's very, there's very low humidity and we use these high expensive fluorocarbons under our skis to repel water and water likes humidity. And that's why you use them. But Beijing really, really low humidity. And, you know, you can get away with non-fluorinated wax at, at low humidity, but Beijing is also known for having like really dirty snow because you're getting all this sand and shit blowing in from wherever onto the, the factories the, that are making your yeah exactly the fluorocarbons that are being made in china are just like floating down onto the track no i'm just kidding but regardless there's a lot of um there's a lot of particulate in the air that can get blown in on some of these storms and and fluorocarbons actually work really well for for uh for that so to start off questions to zach are let's let's just see if we can break down relatively um for a layman's audience what's going on can you talk to us about these like really expensive, that kind of like the, the C8 waxes and now they're not allowed and what is replacing them? Can we just start with that? Yeah, we got to back up. Um, am I allowed to shit on FIS? You guys oh, do that oh, all the time. That's all I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, they've handled this in the most unimaginably terrible way from day one, like oh, right yeah. from the outset. And to be clear, I... I, I don't really have a foot in any camp with regard to whether we should or shouldn't be using fluorocarbons. I have totally embraced a floral free future because the writing's on the wall. So for the last two years, I've done nothing but test floral free. We're only selling floral free. We can't import fluoro. That's a whole EPA discussion that, that isn't even pertinent to what we're talking about here. Cause that's specific to 
the United States and importing to North America, a whole different set of issues. But we do need to back up because FIS has perpetuated this nomenclature that's just totally misleading, C6 versus C8. And I'm just, I just want to interrupt quickly. We're talking about FIS, the International Ski Federation, yes. the organization that oversees all of like international ski racing. The yes. organization that screws ski racing up at every level from <laughs> governance to officiating to production and makes it into the like a confusing and boring sport instead of a totally compelling pastime that all of us should be like glued to our TVs unless we're so excited to go out and ski ourselves that we just have to do it. Like that's what it should be. And instead we're talking about C8 versus C6, which no one even seems to understand what the difference is. It's just dumb. So, but we're going to do it. We're going to talk about it because we have Damn to, right. <laughs> because, because it's completely misleading. When we talk about C6 or C8, we're talking about chain lengths. Okay. This is how many carbons in the fluorocarbon chain there are now ski wax. And in particular, the pure fluoros, the powders, the ultra expensive stuff that Devin's been talking about. These have, and always have had a whole range of chain lengths in them up to like 20 or something. It's not just C6 or C8. There's tons of long chain material that goes into the manufacturing of those waxes. What has been banned by the EU through their 2020 REACH regulation, REACH is the set of, uh, I don't know if it's a treaty or a set of regulations, but it's, it's kind of like the equivalent of EPA regulations in the US. Um, what the REACH regulations limit is the residue, the leftover uh, PFOA and PFOS material in the ski wax. That's perfluorooctanic acid and perfluorooctanosulfuric acid, something like that. Two, two particularly egregiously awful chemicals that aren't in ski wax as ingredients they're in them as byproducts, okay? So the regulations that were imposed by, by the EU, these REACH regulations that came into effect in July of 2020, limit the amount of PFOA and PFAS that is allowed to be in any chemical in the, in the EU, not just ski wax, but any chemical at all, to below five parts per billion. So that's very, very small. When the regulations were first announced, this was effectively a total ban on any long chain floral material because it was pretty much impossible to clean those impurities out of the system. Certainly ski wax companies weren't going to be able to do it. I should make a side note here that these ski wax companies, I think we all think of like laboratories yeah. guys in like white coats and safety no. glasses. No, no, no. They buy materials and they cook them. They're like big pots and they stir the pots. They mixing stuff up. You can do it in a garage and a lot of them do. This is not ultra high tech. You'd be disappointed. Like, yeah, exactly. Kind of no, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm super glad you brought that up because like, I think people do have that image that this is like Intel. Like we're, we're making like semiconductors and stuff no, that this no, has no. to be like super clean this is breaking bad. Like it's like, it might as well be a trailer out in like some New Mexican desert where people are like yeah. mixing shit together. Like, yep. especially some of these, like, I'm not going to name any names of some of them, but like some of the smaller waxing companies that have great products, like they really oh, yeah. do. They, like it works really well, but thank you for bringing that up for people that are listening. Cause you're absolutely right. Like this is 
not Intel. Yeah. So Way back in about 2018, when the idea of when, when we all knew that these regulations were coming, we didn't know what the limits were going to be. And so it was like this big speculative thing, like, oh, are we going to be able to more or less get away with the same stuff and try to clean it better? Or are we going to have to reboot and just go to C6 only source materials? At the time, we started testing a lot of C6 only source materials. And here's what happens. When you use C6 additives for paraffin or kick wax, they're not that bad. Now, these additives have to be uh, paraffin soluble. Typically, the pure fluoros that we think of, like the powders, they don't mix with paraffin. They're like oil and water. They just, they, they, they want to separate. They don't mix together. So the fluoro additive that gets put into paraffin or kick wax is what they call a mixed chain additive. And these mixed chain polymers that can be combined with paraffin or kick wax are pretty effective in the C6 form. They don't need to be long chain. C6, it's got a way shorter half-life. The really scary thing about all these fluoros is that C8 and above have like their forever chemicals is like the catchphrase, right? They don't degrade very quickly in nature. C6 has a half-life that's measurable and it goes away on its own. And so we all feel better about it, even though the specific health concerns aren't very different as far as I'm, I've been able to tell with regard to C6 versus C8. It's more of an environmental accumulation concern right. more than anything else. Anyway, yeah, and one more time, I'm going to jump in too, because that is important. Like, like, so because like these regulations, like us as dorky ski fans and stuff, we think this is like coming down on the ski industry. And I'm so glad you brought that up too. Like in the EU, they give no shits about Nordic skiing. Like they don't even know, like Ursula, like, she doesn't know anything about Nordic skiing, but there's factories that are pumping this shit out as byproducts of other products like, like in ski waxing as well. And that's what they're trying to curb. And that's where this environmental degradation is. Like, this is a big problem. Uh, yeah, no, it's in so, everything. It's in like the paint exactly. on your car, the upholstery in your car, exactly. the upholstery in yeah. your furniture, the carpets yeah. in your house, the exactly. clothing that you wear. And, 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 and your water. And it's yeah. like you know, in Alaska, it's like in this firefighting foam and it's like leached into Fairbanks, like all over like your water supply. So there's yeah. legit. So, so, so this is why. So, so that's why I wanted to jump in. That's why I wanted to jump in. Cause like we're, we're talking specifically about like Nordic ski waxing and stuff, but like these regulations it took nothing into skiing like no they're not ski waxing regulations no not at all these are just like global right or not global but like regional regulations that that they really they, and it's hard to argue with them like i mean like, so here's I'm the problem Devin, is that these are broad range industrial regular regulations that are in effect and there are enforcement agencies i believe the enforcement arm for reach is like europol or something like that yeah you know like there are a lot of environmental police. Uh, my buddy, Eric Mundell and I were talking about this the other day. He's like, who's even looking this, who's even like enforcing this stuff? And he looked it up and he's like, wow, remind me not to pollute in Europe. Yeah, like, yeah for serious. sure. Big time yeah. law enforcement here. So now, now we got to get back to FIS because what happened is these reach regulations come on board. FIS had already decided to ban fluoros. They announced this, there's going to be a full floral ban, no floral material at all. They announced it like like dropping a hammer, just like whack. And this was like, what, 2019 and beta stole an opener, right? Yeah. Like before yeah. the World Cup season is like a year from now, no more fluoros. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to develop technology. Well, they failed. The technology didn't work. Oh, so they it postponed it for another year. And then they postponed it again for another year, but it's still kind of hanging out there. And 
I mean, at one of the, what World Cup was it? One of the early World Cups, period one World Cups, they had another testing round and I saw some results from teams and it was still like pretty inconclusive. Seems like, seems like the fluoro tracker device might be getting a little better, but I'm not convinced that they're going to have a test to effectively be able to ban fluoros by next year. We'll no, see. no, exactly. Yeah, and that's great you brought that up too. You brought that up too because like the testing, the testing technology, the, yes, I've also heard that from from other staff and stuff. Like it's getting marginally better. It it sucks ass at at like knowing if there's fluoros on the skis. And the other problem is too, when do you test this stuff, right? Like so anyways, we, we won't get into that. We've we talked about that a bit before, but the, the test that, that Fish is trying to develop is so far. It's not like next year it's going to be better this is like where it is right now there needs to be major technological advances or just a, like just a, a, a tsunami of money going into this project to make it good because we're not even close like and, and so that's what meantime, everyone's saying. Well, well let me i actually want to just clarify here um when we're talking about and, and maybe i'm hoping i'm standing in for the average person here but maybe i'm just taking us deeper down in the rabbit hole when we're talking about a fluoro test and a fluoro ban are we talking about a ban on C anything, C6 and C8, or or is it, have they found a way to sort of isolate? No, okay. And, and I can I can answer this too. I can like, well, not answer it. Zach's gonna answer it, but I can, I can just help like the layman too, which I'm like a D plus, like, you know, like I'm, but, but, but try and brush, like try and like close your eyes. Those that have had like any sort of science background and like high school chemistry and stuff, like, these are carbon chain molecules with like these fluoro compounds added to this backbone that we keep talking about. We're all talking about this C6, C8, C20, whatever, you know, and the more carbon backbones you have, the more nonpolar this molecule is. So the more hydrophobic it is, and which is what we want because snow is water and this works well when it's warm and we want to repel the water to go faster. But the fluoral carbons that like, the, the carbon part is the carbon backbone we're talking about, but the fluoro, the fluorine aspect of this is what's like hacked onto these carbon molecules. So, so that's, that's what it is. So a C6 backbone can still have fluorinated, like these fluorinated um, uh, side chains to them. So, so just so people that are really dorking out at home know what we're talking about. Okay, Zach? <laughs> right. So the full band that we're talking about, the goal of FIS and IBU is to remove all fluoro material. Yes. And when they're trying to develop a fluoro tracker is to, to test for any amount of any type of fluoro additive. Yeah. It's a These much harder are. thing to try to differentiate between C6 and C8. In fact, I don't, I've never talked to anyone who even thinks it's possible. No, I don't so, think it's possible either. Right. So that's that's not what this is. And this is on a ski base. It's really possible is. in a product. It's possible in a product, but not on a ski base. And that's that's what this thing is about. I don't I don't know that it's even possible in a product. You, you, two two product samples, one C6 and one C8. What are you gonna how are you gonna pull them apart like with a test? I don't well, think if, there's a way. If C6 yeah, you need to go to like some sort of biochemistry lab. But it, but if C6 and C8 neither directly relate to fluoros, then why do we care about the distinction between them? Because, because of the reach EPA regulations. EU, yes. Right. Okay. So the reach regulations stipulate you need to be below five parts per billion of these PFOA and PFOS byproducts. PFOA and PFOS are specific byproducts. When we say PFAS, we're talking about overall fluorochemistry. 
okay, PFCs, perfluorochemicals or something, PFAS or, you know, but PFOA and PFOS are the two specific byproducts of the manufacturing process that REACH legislation is mandating be below five parts per billion. Now, here's where FIS screwed up egregiously. They decided to become an enforcement agency. They said, we're not going to allow anything that REACH regulations don't allow, which is the dumbest thing in the world because there are enforcement agencies. I am convinced that FIS was concerned that someone would make it a political thing or a media thing to stop a wax truck at a border, find a bunch of non-compliant material and throw a bunch of waxers in jail. And it would look really bad for FIS because they hadn't taken a stand. I think FIS was trying to protect themselves from negative press so that they could say, hey, we told them they weren't allowed to break the law. But frankly, this isn't FIS's law. This is REACH law. It's way, way bigger than FIS. FIS should have left well enough alone. And then this whole kerfluffle, idiotic, stupid situation in Sweden never would have occurred because there's no way to test for it anyway. And the whole thing just happened based on the rumor mill. And that like is not, there's no place for that in elite sport. That's just dumb. Can you give us an analogy of like what if we weren't talking about ski wax and we were talking about a, a you know banned um, you know recreational drug or something what this would what the what this would analogize to you know what I, I don't want to go with like recreational drugs but like what I could what what you start what you can compare and Zach can jump in on this since he also sells bikes at his shop but like you know a bike isn't a bike did you know what I mean like like if you're trying to break the hour record on a velodrome that's very different from like a bike you get at Walmart to give your five-year-old kid to learn how to, how to cycle for the first time with like training wheels and stuff. Yeah. They're both, they both have wheels and they both can propel you through space and time, but, but one's going to do it at a very, at a much different level. And that's in certain conditions, like uh, we're going to get into this of course, but like in certain conditions, like these waxes, like they really change the game. I mean, like you, you, it's not out of this world to think that you could lose like minutes in a 15 K if I'm waxing with like a candle, you know, like paraffin with like nothing. And you're waxing with the, like the most expensive fluorocarbons known to man. Um, it, 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 if it's, if it's the right conditions, if it's dirty and, and plus five degrees Celsius in super humid snow, I mean, geez, it, it can make a humongous difference. Like we're talking minutes, a, a couple minutes in a 15 K. So, so that's, it's big. Like it, but here's, it's really- but here's the thing, Devin, here's, here's what no one seems to understand is that these new C6, quote unquote, C6 waxes aren't C6. They're not C6. They're long chain perfluorocarbons where the source chemistry is cleaned to reach standards. Okay. Right. So yeah. what happens is that the, the fluorochemical industry supplying all sorts of different industrial demands for fluorocarbons sees this reach stuff coming along and they're like, oh, five parts per billion. We can't hit that. And they tinker, tinker, tinker. And then they hit it. Yeah, they hit it. And all the wax companies are like, oh, hey, here are source materials that we can use to produce reach compliant products, but they're not C6. And this is where FIS doubly stepped on their dick by calling it C6. It's right. not C6. It's never right. been C6. And yeah, of course what it is, what it is, is a smaller market. There's fewer chemical suppliers every day because they're all trying to get out of it. And there are fewer 
there are fewer products that they can produce to this standard of cleanliness. So what's happened is the field is condensed massively because the wax companies seem to be all working with about the same source material. It's right. not, it's just, it's, it's kind of focused things down to a pretty narrow field, but it's still pretty good material. It's not, if we were taking true C6 pure fluoro powder, that stuff works roughly as well as HF wax, yeah, HF paraffin. Okay. It's about at that level, but the quote unquote C6, the, the reach compliant new products are not C6. They are long chain ski wax that is cleaned to the reach standard of five parts per billion or less. And they perform very comparably to the old product, but there's less of them. And so, you, you know, you're going to, Right. You're going to be able to beat them on a day with old wax that you know how to use. But probably probably that was a procedure thing in Sweden. The Swedes won because they tested better or had some old recipe for their yeah. venue that they knew really well. And the Norwegians were there with a bunch of stuff they had never used before. Yeah, that, that, that could be a problem. And so like coming back, because we're now we're jumping into the Scandinavian Cup uh, kerfuffle. And and the, and this is also a challenge. So, so just to be clear, there was a bunch of Swedes that performed fantastically in, in, in Falun in the scan cup. And they should have, I mean, you had Dahlquist there kicking ass. You had Sundling there kicking ass. You had my boy, William Porama kicking ass. He won all the distance races. There's never been any names of people that like who, what's, which athlete came out of the wax room that was using this illegal wax. So I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. And if anyone's surprised that Sunling's winning the sprint, they haven't followed in, in some Scandinavian cup, then they haven't followed skiing. Like she's the best sprinter in the world. She's world champion last year. Come on. Uh, Poromatu, like against the B-level Norwegian guys, which are, which, which are fantastic. There's a lot of guys in that field that have top tens in the world cup and stuff. But uh, Poroma is also a fantastic ski racer. So he could win on a great day either as well. So I don't want to just start pointing fingers at, everyone at the top of the results list. But what I am saying that is disappointing, and this is what this is where this confusion happening is like, there's also like a capital investment to all these clubs. There's a capital investment, especially on this B circuit, right? Like if you're like a Swedish club, okay? Like a, a middle Swedish club, the Norwegian, the Norwegian machine and Canada and the US, like not just Norway, I, I'm not just gonna pick on Norway, like, or Sweden, like any World Cup wax organization, they can pivot. Like they have the budget to pivot. The rules are strict. Like you said, Zach, there is a worry. People are worried. Like you never want to like put your athletes out there and have something happen where athletes are getting DQ'd from races because the, the waxing staff thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. And then it was, and like, so they can pivot, but, but these clubs can't pivot quite, quite at the same level either. And, and this, this stuff costs a lot of money, like a ton of money. And yeah, but I just think what a what a disaster. I think I think anytime you're an elite sport and you say we're gonna go with the honor system, yes, like this is outrageous. I think it either has to be like we can't test for it. It's kind of open season. Well, but the, but the manufacturers maybe aren't manufacturing the in the old style anymore. So there's going to be like this period where wax is just getting used up, and that's just how it is. Or or you, you, you can't announce this stuff until you have a test for it. Because what I think is so hard is, you know, like we're talking to the Americans, uh, talking to the Canadians, the Norwegians I know are super strict with this. Like they're following the regulations. I think it's what you said, Zach, mostly to like cover your back with a scandal. You know, you, you, the, Norwegian whack, the, the Norwegian wax truck doesn't want to have a scandal like happened in Sweden at a World Cup, right? 
So they'll just be compliant, but they, but they have this, they have the money, the expertise and everything to be compliant. But what worries me is like anytime we're going into an honor system situation, which is just for the people at home can understand the FIS world cup is an honor system because there's no way to test what we just described. If you're using waxes from four years ago, which are not EU compliant, there is no way to know. And while waxing companies are out there saying it's like, yeah, this new stuff is just as good, blah, blah, blah. It's also no way to know really like, like fully quantifiably that this new stuff is better. We don't know yet. And it's created a total, it's created a mess is what it's created. Well, this is where Fist just screwed it up so badly. And it's going to yeah, come, it's, it's like, we're, we haven't heard the last of this for the Olympics. This is going to go off because they went out there and they made it a rule with no enforceable actions available to them. Right. And, and they, I think what they did is they made this statement, they made everyone sign and they're like, oh, great. We'll wash our hands of this. We've made a public statement. We're on the right side of this thing. No one's going to criticize us. I don't think they ever anticipated that people were going to start pointing the fingers at each other and, and like questioning what they're actually allowed to do. I, I don't believe there was ever an intent to enforce a single thing or to test a single thing because there's no test. They weren't going to go around sniffing everyone's wax cabin and trying to bust people for using old stuff. They just wanted to look good. And now they look terrible. What if instead they had said, you got, you've, you've got to, you are obliged to follow all regulations for the area that you work and live in. And that means importing stuff across borders and everything else. And just leave it at that. Be like, we're not going to have your back if you if you break the law. Don't break the law, dummy. Now we're yeah. going to ski race. Like yeah, in the U.S., U.S. had this whole conversation for, and they decided for the Olympic qualification criteria, period, because there were no regulations and no test available to them in a timely enough manner to be able to enforce anything for naming an Olympic team. It was going to be open season. They were allowing floros, yeah. even though. United States Ski Association has come out and said, we're going to be floral free. They basically suspended that through the Olympic qualification period, which ends this weekend in Sun Valley. That race is going on right now, right? So there's race today, race tomorrow, fully open, ring what you brung. It like, go ahead and use it, use it up, burn it up, make it go away. No one's, you can't get in trouble for using ski wax at these races. And then when it's done, it's done. And this will yeah, be- and that you know, this will be the yeah. end of it. Yeah, because the producers that, handshake yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, exactly, because the producers won't be producing. Well, there will be like probably sketchy Russian producers doing something, but I'm just kidding. Well, that becomes yeah. interesting at the Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so but regardless, regardless what you said, I think I think when this, like you said, invited stolen in 2019, tried to come up hard and then had to walk back instantly because this test was like, it was it was hilarious it was like like not even it almost didn't work like it was a complete flop so they had to walk it back i quite frankly agree with what the u.s said in this current situation which is if you can't enforce it and there's high stakes and these products exist in like spades there is a ton of these products still out there in the world right. then what's the fairest to the athletes is you know what it's it, it just like it's open it's open season until there's a test and but the manufacturers are held to epa regulations or eu regulations so they cannot produce this anymore so it will be a dwindling supply and then at some point they're just it there's just not enough of this left to, to wax for a full club or a full ski team or or that sort of stuff 
the main issue I have, I have a lot of issues with fists with this as well. I share a lot of your sentiment, Zach. So there won't be much of a debate there. But one thing that really broke my heart and continues to break my heart with fists is we haven't really talked a lot about this, but like the proliferation of wax trucks on the World Cup. Every time I see that, I just, I, I, just, I get so sad because the, the, the rules and regulations that FIS had set up for ventilation at wax rooms before the wax truck revolution of 2006, there was, there was strict rules written black and white for ventilation, airflow, that sort of stuff. And you go to Davos, like Davos, okay? Like where there's the world economic form, like money for days. And it's a big fucking party tent right. with everybody burning fluorocarbons into their skis, like no ventilation essentially. It's like, this is madness. Or you travel to like wax rooms. It's like, how many times Zach have you wax skis in a sea king, like a sea container, like yeah. all the time. Oh yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh yeah, the ventilation is somebody like with a sawzall cut out like the world's most ghetto tiny little window that's the size of like my MacBook Air here. And like, this is outrageous. And this, there was tons of discussion. You have to take care of the staff. You have to take care of these waxers. This is outrageous. They did nothing. The rules were there. They never enforced those rules in their own events. So Sweden, Norway, where there's like massive pressure because this became a big thing in the media back in that time. They said like, okay, well, we have to just engineer a way out of this. And then it became this arms race that we had. And now all these teams have these wax trucks with these like immense, it's crazy. It's really cool. Like the, the, um, the systems, the engineering systems to like clear pollutants and, and out of these trucks is, is crazy, but they cost hundreds of thousands of euros. And this has put in no money. This gave the U.S. not one cent for that wax truck that they bought a couple of years ago, Canada, we are using the original wax truck, like the first one ever. We are still using it. It's, it's Sweden's 2006 wax truck, which at the time was like world leading and, and awesome. Now like Canada's wax truck is like a piece of shit. Like as far as ventilation goes compared to the U S or the Norwegian or the Swedes, like the, or the Russian bus and the trucks and stuff. And, and I, I, it just really breaks my it really really breaks my heart that that staff are put in these situations that these waxers have been put in these like unhealthy situations and that doesn't get enough airtime that like it is not a healthy environment it's way more healthy now than it was 20 years ago when everyone was waxing the seeking that that that's for sure but the discussion is never on that and i never hear fist talk about the health and safety of of people that work for this whole this whole circus to keep going and that, and that really, that actually, like that pisses me off in a big way. So I'm glad to see that that they make a, make a change. But coming back to the racing, this this is where I'm so conflicted, right? Like, I want to say no because I'm with you, Zach. Like, we got to get away with the floral stuff. It's bad for people's health. It's bad for the environment. Like, just stop it. But we have all this stuff, and it works really well. And we're talking about elite sport, and there's no way to test it. And like. We talk a lot about HGH and, and growth hormone and steroids and stuff like that, which does give you an advantage that's been proven in, in like studies. But, but also what gives you an advantage is this quote unquote illegal wax. And if there's no way to test, I don't know. Like I, I'm just, you see, you see that you see the conundrum, like it's a dilemma. It really oh, is. So here's the thing, right? The, the, there's no test. The most recent thing I saw from FIS was a clarification that like, yes, the people who have observed that the reach regulations don't apply in China are correct. There's no law against these 
in China. However, the FIS rules do apply. However, we have no idea whether there's any uh, Olympic organization testing available there. So we've just answered absolutely no questions. And here's the other thing. Swedes and Norwegians are terrible cheaters. I mean, they're terrible cheaters. So they start pointing the finger and they all buckle and cry and they're like, oh, oh yes, we did it. We're sorry, we didn't really realize it was that bad. There are other countries out there and I don't have to name names for you to understand what I'm talking about, but you could walk up to a dude with a needle stuck in his arm and he's gonna be like, no, no, of course I'm clean as the driven snow. I've never doped. What do you think is gonna happen? Yeah. Who's gonna have some non-European produced fluorocarbons at the Olympics where there's no test and look us square in the eye and be like, yeah, of course we're playing fair. Can I ask a question about that? So, and, and I'm guessing you're talking about a country that might start with R and end with Russia, but- No, no, but it could be Austria too, dude. Like, oh, yeah. mean, don't, don't kid yourself. Or, yeah. Estonia, like there's a plenty of, it's not just, the, there's plenty of countries that so, can be painted with that brush. So anyway, my, my, my actual question here is, um, and, and I'm sure I'm gonna get a bunch of hate mail for, for that, but um, how much, if you're say an American ski fan and you know, you know, we, we heard from the American coaches that they are using only quote unquote the C6 stuff and have been all season and with what they say is relative success, given what you just described, Zach, that like this new stuff is, you know, pretty darn competitive, even if the breadth of the selection <laughs> is wide, is this actually really should should people really consider this as much of an issue or when ultimately is it sort of like the folks that are playing by the rules actually aren't you know if they're if, if they have a budget and a, a team that's big enough and they're serious enough that they have a staff are they actually going to be giving anything up by not using the legacy stuff or or is maybe not actually all that much so the it's it's like um it's like formula 1 when they're you know they're going to announce a a uh, rule change next year, everyone stops developing the current car, right? Like last year, there weren't big changes. There was some investment made, they put a spending cap on it. And so like things kind of reached the ceiling and all of a sudden it got competitive because no one was willing to spend big bucks to try to look for that little advantage. And, you know, the racing got pretty good. Well, this is the ski, ski wax industry right now. Like everyone knows this is going away. There's a limited amount of supply, fewer and fewer companies making the raw material. So they're just not pushing really hard. The wax companies I've talked to haven't really pushed forward with developing these fluorinated solutions because they see which way the market's going. The only places buying these fluoros are Europe and fairly high level racing. And typically the whole market is really swinging very rapidly toward floral free. And I think the market is going to be what kills fluoros before anything else, even the yeah. supply chain. All right. Now that means that advances aren't being made really, really quickly and that the, the ceiling is kind of set and the products that are compliant and that people can buy in Europe are at a level that creates pretty good racing. And I think by and large, we've probably seen that on the World Cup. It's looked like a fairly well-matched World Cup and the racing has been pretty good and no big deal. Like waxing doesn't have to be that big a subject. So I guess what is dissatisfactory about the Olympic situation is the lack of leadership. So it just leaves the door open so that if someone does come up with a wax advantage, it's not just like, oh, wow, they did good work. Now it's like, oh, they cheated. Oh, they, they cheated. They found something that wasn't allowed and everyone's going to assume it's cheating instead of just good wax. And the other fact is, I don't know. I don't know what 
Russian wax companies or Chinese wax companies are out there working with non-reach regulated materials. Sure can't happen in the U.S. because no new, I mean, we can't even import reach legal stuff into the U.S. because it's all new and EPA is not adding new chemistry to the inventory. So like, you know, it just, the, the regulations are different everywhere in the world and the standards are built around European regulations. The FIS ruling is built around European regulations. Um, and yet other places in the world are not, are not subject to those regulations and there's no way to enforce it. So it just leaves open the specter for a wax advantage by certain countries to be called out as cheating with no way to prove it, no way to, there's just no, there's no recourse and it just casts a shadow over the whole thing. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because like the reality is like some of these countries that do not have these regulations in their country, like they just don't, you know? And in Beijing, like it's not illegal, you know, and, and I, I kind of, it kind of bums me out. Like if we see some just like fantastic performances, say it gets warm and it is dirty and I don't know, Russia just crushes yeah. the Russian athletes are bosses. Okay. Yeah. Like they are total champs, like Bolshinov wins overall world cups all the time. Ustigov's won like countless medals. Like they're great. So then to have like finger pointing, like you say, Zach, on that when there's no way to know, like there's no, there's absolutely no way to know. It just creates a nightmare that is avoidable. And I wish we couldn't, like, I wish we, I wish Fists would have thought of this through a little bit better. And I, it breaks my heart to say it because I wish, I really don't think it's right. I want to say that. I don't think it's right that people should be waxing with this stuff anymore. But in the current climate at the highest level, and with the situation, with the mess that's happening, I think the, the fairest thing for the competition is, is just open season. I mean, sadly. But, but saying that, saying that I, I almost like I can't even say that without any big butts because like the butt part about it is I know my, like, some of my best friends are going to be standing over that, burning that shit into the fucking ski base again, breathing that in. But like you said, Zach, this, it's not like this C six stuff is better for the health. And I want, I want this, I want the discussion to be pivoting more towards like health and safety, uh, and away from like just like you said, like piggybacking onto huge polluters, like industrial manufacturing, where these where these regulations have have come out from. Well, and this is where I think this, done this... That. and it hasn't done that. Now. That that drives me absolutely bonkers. Like there should have been multiple studies good studies double blind studies like good studies on this shit that this should have paid for yeah. and they don't yeah. and there yeah. is some studies there are some studies but there is a lot of problems with those studies that have been released with this there's no cohort studies there's no like longitudinal studies that we could follow like you know 30 years 40 years back like how is the health and say how the health of waxers like for 40 years ago when did they start when do they come is fist doing anything to do this kind of research now because there's always new tech starting in the world cup now like how are they when they come in what are they going to be like in 20 years 30 years these are studies that need to be done are they doing anything about it no this is doing nothing about it and that's that's not just a i'm getting worked up because like that's that's the tragedy because we do not know what the fallout is because of this. And I just, I'm just hoping and praying that these like uh, wax trucks and the ventilation and the engineering, like you said, is getting so good. And people are now aware of it. Like we weren't 20 years ago. Now we're aware of it. Uh, that you got to hope that that's going to, 
that's going to lead to better health outcomes for the people working. But I don't know. Well, I think that this is initial 2019 stance of like, we're going to work toward a floral ban, outright ban was exactly the right stance to make yeah, what they've totally. done since then. And at every single step is mismanaged the decision-making yeah. and the communications on it in the worst way imaginable to the point yeah. where they've lost all faith. But if, if they had simply said, it is our goal within three years to be floral free, yeah. we are, you know, we are aggressively pursuing testing to help make fair sport. Like, yeah, I think they'd be in the right place. And through this, through this Olympiad, it would have been open season and it just, it could have been clean and easy and they've made it a huge mess. Just a yeah, big mess. Yeah, to to totally agree. And, and so moving on from this topic, because I, I totally agree with you. So like, I feel like we've exhausted this, but um, so now we're in Beijing. Here we are, we're in Beijing. It's cold. It could be cold, but it's high altitude. It's really dry, but it's dirty. And I actually want to dork out for like five minutes with you like this does seem like an oxymoron really so what is the best product to put under your skis for a hypothetical we realize is a couple weeks away the olympics haven't started yet you never know what kind of weather systems can move through here but let's say hypothetically you're at like soldier hollow because it's about the same 1800 meters really dry but soldier hollow doesn't have sand blowing in from like the gobi desert into into its tracks like like beijing can have so what how do you wax for that? Because that these are conditions like no no wax staff has any experience with this. The Norwegian wax machine, Sweden, Russia, they haven't been on site. Like this is a new site for everybody. It's a new site for the athletes. That doesn't really matter because the athletes just have to show up in shape, and that's the most important thing. But for the staff, this is this is going to be interesting to follow. It's going to be the fairest quote unquote fairest Olympics ever for the waxing staff because no one has an unfair advantage of having spent months and months. You know that better than anyone. Like you, you've yeah. been there and seeing that Norwegians park park their like text there for like a month or more years in advance and this isn't happening and now we know it's also going to be really weird wet really weird conditions low humidity high dirt very dirty how, how do you how would you deal with that like what, what what would be running through your head now if you were heading to beijing in a couple of weeks knowing that like it's a high likelihood that this is what you're going to be met with well the low humidity things is tricky um and coupled with the kind of cold that there's rumors about um, is also tricky. Skis and wax and structures for cold conditions are one of the hardest things to deal with because there's so many different solutions in different parts of the world. So, you know, to make a couple of examples, like conventional wisdom for cold skis is really long pressure distribution, um, kind of lower the peak force anywhere under the ski, really smooth bases, super hard waxes. Um, but you go to Canmore and we're, you know, talk about cold and dry Canmore, super yeah. cold, yeah. super, super dry, yeah, absolutely. uh, really focused pressure distribution in the cold, the colder it gets, the shorter you want that pressure distribution to be. And this is, this is nuts. Like I saw this when I came up to Canada, cause Amy had that job and we started testing and total head scratcher. I was like, man, this, this snow doesn't even really care what the grind is. And it wants a warm ski. Like, how's this possible? I'm freezing my butt off. Um, but I've seen a lot of test results since then. And, and, um, I've communicated a lot. I don't know if you know, Mike and Judy Mappin, they do a lot of research yeah. oh, yeah. for, uh, for biathlon Canada, and they're really super thoughtful people. And I share some test information with them and they've been really clear about their model for skis, but it's very Canmore centric. And it kind of like breaks your brain when you look other places in the world, except then, you know, you see it, you see it 
here and there that like a completely opposite approach will will work. And what about China? Does anybody know? No. No. <laughs> no, they don't. So total open season. You add dirt to the mix. Dirt's tricky. And you mentioned that floros are are really important for repelling dirt. Now, there's kind of two things to think about here. Waterborne dirt is by far yeah. the most insidious. That's the kind of stuff where it like gets under your fingernails when you scrape the ski. That's like Thunder Bay. 2095. No, I was there. I, 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 <laughs> I was watching. It was, it was a riot. It was, um, yeah, yeah. It, it was incredible what happened. I got a bib from someone and was skiing around on those courses and like it would load up the ski base. So, so oh, yeah. quickly. In particular, just so people know, like they don't they haven't been following the sport. So there's the world championships actually were in Thunder Bay in 1995 and there's a giant pulp and paper mill that, that was close to the venue. That was not well thought out. And in the right wind conditions, this particulate from this pulp and paper mill in the 90s would just kind of land on the, the, the World Championships venue. And then it was like plus 15. Oh, with, crazy. With, yeah, with crazy warm. Like there's crazy, crazy weather happening. Yep. Crazy weather events. So it's like super warm and slushy. But then you had this particulate like from the pulp and, and paper mill. Like just, and like, it all condenses to the surface. So the, yeah, the, exactly. the snowpack's boiling down rapidly. Yeah, exactly. And all the dirt from the whole season, the snowfall. It's yeah. just accumulating on the surface and it was grease. It wasn't yeah. dirt. It was, no, it was like, disgusting. yeah, it, it was, was pollution greasy. particulate. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. But, so, but that was, that was, but you, but you could have dirt though. So you just broke up. I couldn't hear what you said. The point I was trying to make is that that was both uh, condensed by a huge melt and waterborne. So once you have dirt in water, um, it pollutes the ski much, much more quickly. Dry, granular, dusty snow without a lot of water moving around in it. Um, the dirt is more of a like an abrasion and concern. Okay. Okay. Um, and and yeah, it can for sure slow the skis down. Uh, what we see in all our floral free testing is that like film management, keeping the wax film super super thin and keeping the base really clean is really critical. Not to pick up that dirt. Any amount of dirt stuck to the base is egregiously terrible. Um, fluorocarbons aren't only good at dealing with water. They're also, I'm going to use a word that everyone always looks at me cross-eyed when I say it, but they're also very lubricious. That's right. I said lubricious. They're slippery. Yeah. They, they're good lubricators on their own and they're, they naturally resist dirt pretty well. So even in extremely cold, dirty snow, um, you know, they're solid additives like, you know, molybdenum, everyone says is really good for dirty snow because it organizes itself molecularly in these plates with weak bonds in between them. And so when you have a, a particle, a really sharp, dirty particle, try to penetrate, it'll hit a plate and then slough it off, you know, and, and so it's this dry lubricating film. Yeah. And that was, that was like, just for people too, that were like, that rings a bell. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that like a gallium revolution, so wax coming out of out of Japan, mm -hmm. was based on what Zach is just talking about, and, mm -hmm. and only a few countries had it apparently, and we're just cleaning up with this. And this oh. was right around like Sochi. This was right around Sochi that this was happening. And so, oh, it it was Vancouver, dude. You yeah, guys Vancouver too. Time. Yeah, Vancouver. As we well. had a we had a waxer who had worked for Japan. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was he was keeping a secret. Like yeah, yeah. It was so it was all wrapped up. Years. It was Vancouver to, to Sochi was when this was yeah. happening. And so so th there is there is these 
and that, that is interesting too. So there is there is waxing technologies that do spring up. And again, like it's not coming out of Norway, it's not coming out of Germany, it's not coming out of Italy, where you think these big waxing superpowers that we just uh, broke your your bubble of <laughs> trust of how high tech it was. But this is where these revolutions come from. And then Japan came out with something totally different. But so here we are. We're in we're in we're in Beijing. If I'm hearing this, I'm just going to summarize. Ski selection is what you'd be most worried about because yeah. cold and dry, it's like grind and ski selection. This is like the main focus of the, of a wax technician or like staff, like a service member is like ski selection is everything. You want to make sure the athletes have the right construction for, for the weather. You're not as concerned with the waxing because like we've discussed, it should be low humidity, but again, the dirt this is kind of like the joker of the whole thing, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I am concerned with the waxing. In fact, it's easier to deal with moisture because you can just pile it on, you know, yeah. you just put on a ton of floral. Yeah. You can be in the game and it almost doesn't matter what you use so much as how much of it, like yeah. you can just overwhelm it with volume, but you can't do that in dry snow. There are no, big, big differences yeah, just in base paraffins and, and, and yeah. what paraffin you're running. And once you have to play that game, this whole world cup circus that has really focused so much on these floral films in the past to the exclusion of being doing really good work with paraffin. You know, they were just burning powder straight on to bases for a while that oh, yeah. when you're in super dry, cold conditions, good luck, dude, that won't work. So yeah, they're going to be stressed that way. And the other part of this is how many countries are bringing grinding capability all the way to China, you know, that so, none. so, just for people at home, because this is great. This is another question. I didn't know if we would have time for this because like people at home, you don't understand like these grinders, Zach can tell you, he has one behind him. Like they're, they're spendy. This is spendy. This is a spendy piece of equipment. Um, but like the, these big teams, they travel like world championships, Overstore, Norway had a couple grinders there. Sweden had a grinder there. Russia has grinders around like this is, this is for real in central Europe. Like you, you cannot believe they'll find garage space and there will be grinders. And maybe it's not right in the city that the championship's happening. Maybe they have to drive an hour or two hours to do it, but they're doing that. Fresh grinds on skis, super important in, in China. I've heard. And again, you can't quote me on any of it, but I, from what I've heard and like, I, I have heard of no country having a grinder in Beijing right now. Well, I'm also in China, obviously, but like, but I haven't heard. So this is interesting. Are, are they even a lot? I mean, I, I assume, you know, skis is less of an issue, but like, are, are do athletes even have access to the normal amount of skis that, that they would? Oh, yeah. In Europe? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, you know, if, if you're Teresa Yohug, you're, you're traveling over there with like 50 pairs of skate skis, no big deal. Like it's, yeah, yeah. You, it's, you can bring as many pairs of your skis as you want. And, 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 and that's why I, I'm glad Zach brought up like ski construction is being so important. Like this is still like the, you know, the waxing is, is important. Always. It can, I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, it can give you minutes if you're waxing with like a candle and someone else is just piling on like hundred percent fluorocarbons that's right for the condition and it's plus five and dirty, but um, ski construction is huge. So, so all these professional athletes, all the, the top level World Cup skiers will be coming with dozens and dozens and dozens. Well, okay, I'm exaggerating, but they'll coming with, with a few dozen in each, in each uh, 
um, discipline. So classic and skate skis, there'll probably be very few people there with under 25 pairs of skis. Like, I mean, that's just how it is. And some will have upwards of 60, 70, maybe even 80. Well, and, and you need it in order to cover your bases. Once you look at, you yeah. know, camber type and construction, you look at base material, yeah. and you look at grind, which you, you need to show up with all of those. Exactly. You can't, exactly. You can't change that on the snow. You need to have every permutation there because every time I go to a place I've never been, that's the thought process is okay. Before we even talk about wax, we need to, we need to align our thinking in terms of camber, base material and grinding exactly to get the optimal and and it can be super unpredictable and then the one thing that i can guarantee about china is it's likely to be just different from what everyone's seen in the past of course of course i mean like i mean you you've, you've been there testing i think like a great example i like when people ask me about this well i think it's just fascinating i i, I this i actually find incredibly fascinating so zach and i have spent time in the south island of new zealand in the snow farm in and, and done tons of testing. You haven't. Okay. No, I haven't been down there. I've sent a lot of test products. Oh Jeez, yeah. I've been so many times that it's all it's all a blur, baby. But yeah. anyways, there's been testing. So the Canadian team and the US team have tested a lot of skis yeah. in the South Island because it's pretty sweet. It's winter in New Zealand when you're down there in July and August. So you're thinking, great, we can we can test like Fisher's um first two runs, their first two productions and see if there's anything good there that's interesting. And you can find some like great skis in New Zealand. And get all stoked and be like, oh man, we really hit like, you know, that second production from Fisher is really good. And then you get to the fall in the World Cup and you don't race with them ever. <laughs> so like they're just they're they're shitty in Europe. And it's like it's weird. It's like, is the snow really that different? Yeah, it is. From continent to continent, it actually is that different. So no, that's funny, Zach. I, I, I thought I thought I, I thought you had been there, but anyways, I, it wasn't you. But other people have tested a lot, and the Canadians and Americans have tested, and those skis never seem to perform in Europe on the World Cup. So no, you, I sent a lot of material down there for testing, and we never learned. I mean, yeah. I would say, in a population of skis targeting one set of condition, like you send down a pile of cold skis all aimed in the same direction, you can pick the good pair. Yeah. You know, and it'll, that'll still be the good pair, but it's not like it's going to be your solution for cold snow. And yeah, exactly. Work. Yeah. So, so that, so I'm just use this example as, as in China, like people really are going in blind, but that, that's, that's interesting. So just as we try and wrap this up, like how worried are you? <laughs> how worried are you with this, with the discrepancy in the rules with waxing, knowing that it could be low humidity, snow and dirty, and people could be using powders of three years ago uh, compared to, and competing against, let's say the US with powders of today, like Swix's today's powders. Yeah. Are you worried about that? Or this is something you're not really concerned in I'm, Beijing? I'm truly not worried. I think I think okay. that um, if, if we're looking at a whole season of this where all of these variables can sort of average each other out over time, then you'll see that advantage play yeah. out in a, in, yeah. in a really meaningful way. When, when you're talking about an Olympic medal in one event in a place where no one's been and no one's got a background of knowledge or anything else, you're so, it's such an opportunity for a staff to work well together, to limit their, you know, to, to take their limited resources and figure out where they can make the best advantage that I think it, it creates um, a window of opportunity for smaller nations and um, 
some exciting results. I just, I think, I think it's, I think it's like a randomizer. You take, you take the world cup standards that everyone's like, Oh, Norway's always going to have good skis. And you just push the randomize button. And like on that one day, Norway can screw up and they've done it over and over again. And their athletes can be mortal. They can be, they can have only average skis instead of the world's best. And they'll be bitterly disappointed that they're not minutes ahead and maybe they still win medals, but like all of a sudden, you know, other nations can be in the mix and it creates a really cool opportunity. Anytime you take, you take the world cup circus out of Europe, it just, yeah, no, I, I agree. Awesome. I, I agree with that. Like, I think, I think from what I've seen from like the staff side of things, so now I'm like talking more like a service staff perspective, not my athlete perspective, but um, yeah, systems. I, I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's, it's all, it's going to come down to systems, like how well, your staff works as a system because like zach said you have to find the right camber then you have to find the right base material like like you said then you have to find the right structure and in tandem people need to be testing for kick waxes and okay. can they get enough kick are they fast enough and are they going to wear off because it's yeah. dirty that like zach talked about abrasion like this is a big problem when it's dirty and in skating, you, you have the this ending classic. Somebody's just got to work on like the straight up waxing glide. Right. And this means systems. This, if you do not have a tight system, oh, you can be left with your pants down. It's going to sting, baby. It's going to sting when those pants are down and those Chinese winds are just whipping into your midsection. It, you're not going to be happy. So you better have a good system. I wanted to ask just really quickly about that, just knowing a, the limited amount of time that folks are going to have on site, the limited Intel people have been able to get before. Also, I'm assuming a limited number of staff that people are going to be able to bring in given the, you know, COVID situation, well, that, Chinese. And, and so I'm just wondering, I mean, is this going to be a really shitty Olympics to be a service staff? Cause everyone's just going to be balls to the wall. Like the whole, you know, as soon as you get there, it just seems like a huge amount of work. When you're at the Olympics working service, you're limited by how much work can be done in the time available. I mean, you're by definition balls to the wall. If you're not working, you're losing. So like you use all your staff and all the time available and you try to give them enough rest to show up in the second week. You know, it's like, that's all it is. It's not, you can't work harder than 24 hours a day. And so in the end, what's going to make the difference is the staff that can see the salient points that can recognize the difference makers. Cause you know, there's this conventional conventional wisdom that everyone likes to spout off that it's like, Oh, the most important thing is ski flex and then grind and then wax. And it yeah. should be done in that order. But Devin knows that there are days when the wax does it like, that's it. That's the only yeah, thing. For sure. And if you're not paying attention to wax on that day, you missed or, or yeah. it can be camber. Like if you miss the camber and you nail the wax, like you put all your resources into finding just the right wax and you're not testing athlete skis. You're only going too deep. It's like, Oh, it's cold. Let's just test the cold skis. And you're not putting like eight, 10, 12 pairs of skis yeah, exactly. on the for each athlete. Yeah. You miss you're yeah, out. Sure. You didn't do for it. Sure. And for so sure. someone has to recognize where it's happening. Like where are the differences being made here and how do we get on that train? And that's, you know, that's the, that's, what's going to do it. The, the awareness of, where advantages can be made by putting your work in that area is going to be key. Yeah, no, I, 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 I completely agree with you. I mean, and that, and then it comes down, I'm just like, now we're talking in circles, which, which is kind of our MO here, but, um, but regardless, like 
again, it comes down to the system. So you need, you need to know, cause like, and just to, again, that great question though, because the Olympics people don't really get it. Like the, the accreditations, like even at world championships and stuff and world cup, like you get these accreditation cards and like, honestly, you just like chuck them out in the garbage right away. You don't need them. Like in you're in Germany, you need them, but most other places you don't need them. Like it's not very efficient at the Olympics. You are, all these countries are so limited with their accreditations. And then you, you, you get a staff accreditation. You get like a bot, like not a box, an allotment of accreditations for your sport. And then it's up to the sport governing body, like, you know, to USSA or whatever to go like, okay, cross country is going to have, we're going to use this many for coaches, this many for WAC staff. And Norway's doing the same thing. And Sweden's doing the same thing. Russia's doing the same thing. So it's like, it, it adds a, it adds a real, it adds a real pickle because you are very limited and working. I've never worked as a service staff at the Olympic games. Uh, thank God. And I can only imagine, like Zach said, I, I don't think, I just want to reiterate, like it is, you are understaffed incredibly high stress and an incredibly limited access to the course too because there's other stuff happening you have nordic combine happening you have races every day they're working on the course it's not always like a total it's not always like dialed in like if you were racing in home and colon let's say that have had world cups for over 100 years like it's pretty dialed in in china they had no world cups and they've had no high level races and now they're added this little pickle into the whole thing so it's to be a staff at the Olympic Games, like God said, it's, it's going to be tough. Come in rested and uh, cross your fingers because it's, it's, uh, it, it's tough. Any, any other, I, I guess, um, just jump in. I mean, are you hearing any other interesting um, intel or information or, or do you have any other burning questions, Zach, about this uh, Beijing Olympic venue? Not really. I kind of asked around a little bit and basically there's not, I don't think anyone's got anything especially insightful to pass along beyond, you know, beyond what Devin's mentioned about expectations based on historic weather patterns and just what we've heard uh, about who's been on course. I think, you know, here's the thing. It doesn't even matter. I spent two years at the Callahan Valley prior to the 2010 Olympics and that place had the capacity to be a shit show beyond anyone's wildest dreams ask Devin about 50 oh, yeah. K at Canadian national championships. Oh, yeah. and was that 2008? Yeah. It was a disaster. You have a nice day that day. No, no Canadians idea. didn't know how to make Harry's. No. They thought they knew how to make Harry's. They knew how to make European Harry's. I've been up there making them for two years. Yeah, exactly. And, and after the five K parade loop, before they started the long lap, I think like the entire Canadian national team was a minute off the pack. Oh no, it was crazy. It, it was insane. It was, I mean, like, you never saw such like highly pedigreed athletes oh, looking so like, crazy. It was like un un unusable, like unusable equipment completely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, you know, you talk about an opportunity, it had it been like that, there were real, real advantages available to having put some time in there. And then February, 2010 came and it was just like garden variety. I mean, nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like transform snow, like no big deal. Yeah. Like yeah. basically no advantage available unless you had the, the gallium wax that Devin was talking about, you know, like, and, and there were, you know, like the men's 15 K skate, there were some pretty interesting camber advantages. Fisher had a production of skis that Dario was on and I, and, uh, they're just really different from the standard six ten. They were the first HM, which became speed max. And they were, 
yeah, just interesting camber and not what you'd think of for wet very often. But like that was a lesson learned that I put on the snow in 2013 in Val de Fiem for the skate race, which was like similarly packy plastic, awful snow, but totally missed it in 2010, you know? So Hoff had a good race in 2013. Good for him. Um, but oh, it's, true. But it's, it's, it's true what you're saying too. Like, like it, it's fun. I'm glad you mentioned like, cause we get a lot of questions like that too, with like, is there brands that are better than others? And like, you know what, it can be sometimes like in 2010 too, like if you go back and watch that sprint, look at the final Pajinski and, uh, uh, Kudikov just like dismantled everybody. They were on Rossi. Rossi mm-hmm. came up with Rossi's always good in warm, wet, clister conditions. Like they're crazy good. They're known for that. And, and then on that day, they were on brand new construction skis too. And whew, like, sure. yeah, they were fitter for sure. They were fitter. They were better. No question. But they also had some pretty sick equipment that day against fishers on so, that. Day. So here, here's the funny thing. I rented my house in Squamish to Lars Fenson who's the yeah. Tassari guy yeah. and David Moseli, who's the star guy. And the Russians brought Lars skis and I wasn't really paying attention. Lars had the grinder. He was on my grinder and we were, you know, we were camped out. It was a total, total little junk show of a house in, in one of those neighborhoods in Squamish. And, Squamish, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but both those skis were on that grinder the night before. Yeah. Those were Aussie yeah. skis. So yeah, so you never know, but, but two different grinds though. Yeah. Crazy. No way. Yeah. Really? Right. But fresh. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So there's lots of variables, but anyways, I think, I think we, I think we covered it. I think it's been a, an awesome conversation. It was awesome to have Zach on the pod again and we got to get you on again. Cause I'm serious. Like we get a lot of feedback with these kind of, these kind of discussions and I'm, I'm really like engaged with this. I think, I think with Beijing, this is going to be a story like, and I'm not just trying to hype something up out of nothing. Like, there's a lot of hype with athletes. I get a lot of people asking me, it's like, so, Oh, is it going to be like, like, is it going to be like a mess for these athletes that have never been to the venue? If you're in good shape, you can be in China, you can be in New Zealand, you can be in Gilmore. It doesn't matter. You'll crush everybody. But for the staff, it's a headache. It is a headache, but it's everyone's headache. Like Zach said, and let's hope it creates for some like exciting racing for the armchair enthusiasts like us at home. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank Zach, you. I really appreciate it, man. And and Matt, as always. Yeah. So always a yeah. pleasure. Great to see you, Devin. Yeah, great to catch up. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.